You're listening to The Creators Channel. So, hey everybody, thanks for joining us. This is our second, I think, third interview on The Creators Channel. I'm joined by Christopher Clemens of FX It Impost. Or did you say Fix It Impost or FX It Impost? So, it's really funny. I've, I Originally, it was Fix It Impost. It was supposed to be FIX, but the guys who owned the domain wanted to charge like $20,000 to, for me to be able to buy it for a website. So I just went with, I was like thinking about it, thinking about it. I'm like, I still really like this idea. And, uh, I plugged in on GoDaddy like FX it and post. I'm like, yeah, visual effects that works. And Perfect. it was 12, 12 99 to get that name. So that's, that's where it went. So yeah, it's still fix it and post, but, um, yeah, sometimes I got to spell it out for people. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, drop the eyes, save yourself twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was okay. economical, but it, you know, it's kind of a it was a sort of a creativity by necessity. I think a lot of people get a good chuckle out of it now. So um, totally, I went through so many names before coming up with footage crate. It was like footage fodder. I thought that was a good name, footage it's fodder. A, it's, it's a, a fun one to say. It's fun. <laughs> That's about all it qualifies as. Otherwise, right. it's terrible. But I was in right. the hole and I was like, uh, footage, footage crate. Oh, thank God it's available. I bought for like, I think three bucks or something in 2009. Oh, so, yeah. It's really, is that how long you've been around for is 2009? Yeah. I mean, the website was garbage up until maybe like 2012-ish. But I started okay. way back in 2009. And that was no like way. the early, early days with just like, you know, I was like masking the shape of a muzzle flash and then feathering it like two pixels and being like, here's a muzzle flash and throwing it up on footage crate. So, oh, that's yeah. amazing. I didn't realize that. I mean, uh, I think, yeah, those are like kind of the days when I was my first run on YouTube when I was around was like 2008, 2009, 2010. And awesome. uh, yeah, yeah, that's really cool. I didn't realize that you were, I mean, back then, like anyone, who was putting out stock footage. That was like a great thing because there was only action essentials. <laughs> and, action essentials. Uh, Dead nation films was like yeah. my go-to. Um, I still, I still love that. Stuff. Yeah, it's great. I just wish they would like update the website because the website's so dated, man. I, I think that might still be from 2008 actually. Probably is. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Um, but yeah, so FX it in post, fix it in post. Awesome, awesome YouTube channel, dude. Huge, huge props to all that you've achieved. Uh, you're probably best known, I would say, for Scene 38 Reimagined, 26 million views on YouTube, which... It's absurd. <laughs> it's absurd, but... So I, I, I saw somewhere you put in two and a half years to make this thing happen. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so um, a little bit of backstory on that. Uh, a friend of mine... Philip Silvera, I've been working with him for about seven or eight years now, and he's a stunt coordinator, second unit director at this point. Um, but he uh, he stunt coordinated Deadpool and Daredevil and a bunch of other stuff people might have seen. And he hit me up. I want to say it was the end of 2016 or maybe like the first week of 2017 with uh, this idea. After It was right after Rogue One came out. Um, and, you know, the infamous hallway scene of like Vader just tearing through everyone and just the 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 viciousness and fear that he was putting out into the, into the whole world. Like everyone in the audience felt it. He was like, I feel like we gotta, we gotta redo a new hope because it's just, you know, that it's such a short time period between the rogue one scene and the, uh, the duel between Kenobi and Vader, um, in a new hope. He's like, I feel like we gotta, we gotta bring this up to par, um, and show Vader in that light. And so he's like, do you think we could do that? 
I'm like, yeah, of course. I mean, you just, you never say no to crazy ideas and uh, didn't realize how crazy of an idea it was, but we started working on it immediately uh, and doing pre-production and we shot a, a previs of it and uh, sort of used that to get everyone else on board because it was completely a labor of love. It was everyone donating their time from the stunt guys to the riggers, to the makeup, like everyone. It was, it was a whole team to the producers. Um, and so we shot that, I believe in early March of 2017. And, uh, and then we released it, I think last year in May. So, and, and from March till literally 10 minutes before it was uploaded, I was, I was, uh, fixing it in post (laughs) 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 and slaving away. Um, so yeah, yeah. About two and a half years, give or take maybe a month or two. Yeah. So for, for those of you that haven't seen it, it's a must watch. It's going to be one of those Star Wars YouTube staples that's going to be referenced and brought up for till the end of time. Um, Chris, I don't know if you've seen like Ryan versus Dorkman, but that's like, Oh yeah. That, yeah. I mean, that's the, uh, those guys were inspiring me back in the day. I actually got into visual effects, uh, for a star Wars fan film back in 2008. Um, Lucas used to do a fan film contest every year and he supposedly he would pick the finalists. He would review maybe what they brought him and would mm-hmm. pick the finalists and then it would be shown at the different conventions and there was a big star Wars celebration. I think they did it in Florida and that's where they would air it first. But, um, a buddy of mine came to me and was, cause I've been doing film for a while and he's like, Hey, we should try and do a star Wars thing. And I was like, well, why not? And that's when I learned how to roto lightsabers. And I spent a stupid amount of time learning visual effects and running through all the Andrew Kramer tutorials that I could find. And, um, and, uh, and yeah, that was like my first foot in with, uh, creating star Wars content was, was all the way back then. So it was an interesting full circle. How'd you do it? How'd you do with the contest? Oh, we were a finalist. It was a terrible, terrible, uh, yeah, it it didn't like actually win anything, but it was, uh, it was chosen and like, it was aired at the convention. They offered to, um, to, I think they offered to either fly us out there or put us up at the hotel, but it was one or the other. And I couldn't, I had put all my money into like making the costumes and all of that. I, I didn't, I couldn't actually afford to go out there or, you know, like it just didn't work out whatever I had to pay. So I never actually got that experience, but, uh, it was, it was really bad, but it was a great entry point in learning how difficult visual effects can be and how mind numbing it can be at times with like, rotoing multiple lightsabers for five, you know, a five minute long short film. Yeah. And I think the fact that I was not deterred at that point meant that like, okay, there's, there's maybe a future here. Yeah. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I don't don't know if that answers your question. I think I went on a little bit of a tangent, but yeah, I think that, uh, I think I was just asking about if you've seen Ryan versus dark man or were familiar. Sorry. Yeah. So that was back in, that was back in 2008. And so they were like the guys uh, around, you know, maybe I want to say their stuff came out maybe 2005 or six. I think, yeah, uh, yeah. Probably around then. And then they kind of, they released other stuff as they mm-hmm. went, but those were the guys, like I think everyone was watching back, back when. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Those guys, I think he's like the godfather of like the current day star Wars fan films. Um, Ryan yeah. Weber specifically. Yeah, I think they both got jobs after that or after one of the other ones. I think one of them actually started working at Lucas Films. I'm not I think that was Ryan Weaver. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. 
Yeah, I haven't I haven't spoken with him, but he would be fun to to talk to because I think like the Star Wars thing. Yeah, yeah. and and kind of like share some Star Wars fan. Uh, the Star Wars fan community is is amazing and terrifying all at once. Yes. Uh, the amount of pressure and um, just they they want to know everything and they want more and it's it's just like it's like this huge tidal wave of like of every emotion that I didn't expect. So like, you yeah. know, getting 26 million plus views, like I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten like directly to my email, just with either what I should create next or what they want to see more of or critiques on everything that we did wrong. Um, so <laughs> it's uh, it would just be interesting to talk to someone who, who's probably had a similar amount of emails um, from the star Wars community. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. The interesting thing with like what you did versus what they did is you're, you're like touching the original yeah. masterpiece, right? The original work that I'm sure a lot of people would say, don't touch, don't even, don't even like consider touching it. But then obviously Lucas went back and I forget what it was like 2002 or something. And then right. <laughs> threw on tons yeah. of digital effects and he, you know, it's his stuff, but he, he went back and did it. And I wouldn't say that was a good call. It is like two different ways of, using futuristic futuristic technology to like revise something that you know was done in the 70s it was interesting with uh i I actually was recently rewatching um the special editions i I, there's been multiple special editions i believe so i'm not sure which Mm -hmm. iteration i I think it was watching whatever's on disney plus now um but kind of the the visual effects that they added stick out so much um just because they weren't quite like no no disrespect to the skill of the artist back then but i think they were trying to do too much sort of with what the capabilities were back in maybe the early 2000s or maybe it was the late 90s i think i feel was, like i remember I seeing it, it twice tour. yeah i think okay. you're right i think it probably like 96 or something they did yeah. one version and then they're like oh there's newer better tech like let's go revise it again it's good again it's like yeah. if you guys waited 15 years in, right now you'd be able to do it i think like seamlessly um so. but also yeah. in a lot of ways to me a lot of the visual effects seemed unnecessary where scene 38 reimagined. It's more like, let's try and use the tools that we have currently to get the feeling that we want out of what, what yeah. should have been that scene. Like it, the original has it, but like, why did, why do stunt work? Why does stunt work suck so much for seven? <laughs> why is it so slow? Do you know, like, is it just a lack of, um, so, I mean, for I can speak directly to the to a new hope on on what happened there. Um, they they were stuck on a couple of different fronts with what was going on. One was the lightsabers. The way they were doing um, that effect back then was it was a spinning piece of filament on the rod, and that would reflect back to the camera and give off like the glow of the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the really old like untouched versions, you'll see there's frames that are like there's no lightsaber at all where like the light didn't reflect back on that frame and it kind of pops in and out. And so the way that would spin is they'd have this really heavy um, lightsaber hilt because it had all of the mechanics that made it spin. And then they had a wire that went like down the tunic and into a battery pack on the back. So you're doing that with an actor like Alec Guinness, who's already older and not necessarily like trained as a stuntman. And I think, you know, having this heavy blade, the fact that every time they hit, it would create this like spark of like phosphorus or whatever, which you can see also in, um, in the movie, you'll just see these random smoke puffs that happen. 
Um, so I think it was like a coupling of the technology they were trying to achieve mixed with not using actual stuntmen for the fight. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think standards were just different back then there. We're we're comparing it to what we've seen today. We're back when like that was considered a good fight. Um, I'm not saying there weren't better ones out there even at that time, but I think it was more about the story than about like any of the, the actual like choreography. Um, I was wondering like if there was, if it's like a stylistic choice kind of, I mean, I guess with these, um, practical effects limitations or time restrictions, budget restrictions, that all makes sense. But I do feel like, like from the seventies to eighties, there was a big shift with stunt work where in like seventies, it's like, Oh, I'm going to punch you. Oh, I'm going to punch you. Oh, I punched you. And then like eighties, they actually have like, you know, cool stunt choreography and something. So, eh. so so I, I work a lot with, uh, stunt coordinators, um, just doing previs work and whatnot. And I, this is a little bit of a stab in the dark, but maybe a guess, uh, there are a lot of different types of stuntmen in the industry. There are guys who are more of the traditional stunt guys who can kind of do a little bit of everything. They can fall, they can drive, they can, you know, do a little bit of parkour, a little bit of fighting, uh, but they're not necessarily specialists. And then you kind of have your specialists who like, they might be great at a certain type of martial arts, or they're just stunt guys who only do driving car stunts and whatnot. And, um, there's like parkour guys that only do that type of stuff. I think maybe back then there was not necessarily the type of specialization in the stunt industry. And there was like a lot of guys who were fantastic at like taking hits and falls and whatnot, but you didn't have these martial arts masters who could translate that to film um, maybe as readily available as it is today where there's guys who kind of like, they get brought in specifically because it's like, Oh, we want this martial arts form for this particular actor. And it's just a lot. There's a lot more money to <laughs> to bring in all these yeah, guys, so for sure, so kind of a stab in the dark, but I buy it. it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah. there were some great like martial arts films from the '70s. It just seemed odd to me, like a lot of big budget films didn't seem to have that. But right. now it is like if you don't have decent choreography, like people are going to critique it because people have been so exposed to awesome fight scenes now in such a condensed period of time that yeah, yeah, kind of like a high bar. Yeah, the standard the standard has risen. I think it's the same like with visual effects. Like obviously the technology is like completely transitioned every decade, if not like in between years. But there's like stuff where it's like, well, you, when you've seen the Marvel movie and then like you see a little indie, like they're still like, well, what's the difference? And it's like a lot of a lot of people don't realize there was five thousand people working on this Marvel movie to you know create everything. Where there might be one guy working on this independent movie, and the quality is it's just different. Like you need the bigger team, you need more money, you need kind of all of those resources that, that these guys provide and they set a bar there. So it, it makes it hard to achieve. And especially when you look backwards, it's like, Whoa, not everything stands up. Um, but I don't know. That's my two cents on it. Yeah. I buy <laughs> For whatever it. it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking about like the Lucas revisions, adding visual effects and then he right, went back right. and did it. 96 i'm guessing uh, probably like Ish. early 2000s again i don't think he's done yeah. it since and then recently i how long ago now did you release scene 38 it was like two about a year one year one year yeah took two maybe years yeah 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 may so yeah a year and a couple months awesome so in that period i've seen 
you know, we were talking earlier about deep fakes. We were talking about right. um, all the other like crazy new like uh, AI powered visual effects tools. Are there any are there any tools that have come out in that period that you wish you could have utilized for scene 38? Deep fake. Definitely. Deep fake was uh, something that was obviously around like probably the entire time I was working on it. I just was not aware of it. I became aware of it probably maybe four to five months before we released it. But I was, I had like spent so many hours and like the process was like nearly done with all of the Kenobi face replacements that um, I just wasn't going to go redo it all again. It's just sort of was the limitation of the time period in which like everything was being created. But man, I wish I had that because the results are pretty amazing. Um, and it seems to be a lot more automated than manually going in and either tracking the face myself or a lot of times because there was so much movement trying to get a 3d model to like frame by frame stick to our yeah. stunt guy. So, and then obviously rotoing his face out and everything too. Yeah. So deep fake was big. It was really interesting. I, I had quite a few people reach out to me because they thought it was deep fake anyways. Um, I, I feel like the, the face replacements was probably the weakest part of like, if I'm critiquing the visual effects on the piece, I think there was some moments that were pretty gnarly that still, when I watch it, I'm just like, you know, it hurts, but uh, it just was one of those things that with, with what I had, I could have spent another three years on it, making it better. But because it was such a long process, I was having to continually go back and rework all of the shots to make sure that the quality was at least somewhat consistent because I'd figure out a new technique and, um, and I'd be like, oh man, I completed that one shot six months ago, but now this looks so much better. And that's, that's such a dangerous, dangerous position to be in. And it's why deadlines are really a good thing, um, even though they can be difficult, but when it's your own project and like, there's no, there's no real deadlines, even when you stupidly put out a release date and, and miss it <laughs> by a wide margin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, deep fake, but to answer your question, I'd say deep fake is probably the biggest one. There's, I've, I've grown a lot in more of my 3d skill sets, uh, since scene 38, I did a lot of the 3d work in, a, uh, in element from video copilot. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think I squeezed as much as I could have out of that plugin. I think it's amazing for uh, a lot of different uses, but I think I could have done a better job if I would have brought it into cinema 4d or maybe Maya or blender. Like I could have, I could have probably done something that looked a lot cleaner, but Yeah, that was sort of like the limitation of my own skills at that point too. So you had a 3d face of Obi-Wan that you tracked inside of element. Yeah. After I'm trying to, element? Wow. I don't, I have a, uh, I don't know where it is right now. I bought a, um, actually the director, Philip Silvera bought a, a little head, like a, a toy sculpted head of Ben Kenobi. And I did some photogrammetry on that and got a, a model from that. And that's what I used for the, uh, the face replacements. I also was able to pull certain stuff, uh, certain like clips from the movie itself and kind of put them on. I think some of the better stuff is from that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a, a model in Element 3D and just X, Y, and Z axes just oh my God. rotating, <laughs> dude. It was it was gnarly. It was it was a uh, it was tough. It, it yeah. harkened back to the old lightsaber days of just going 
Roto moving a point, moving a point, moving a point, <laughs> and then hoping that enough motion blur would hide it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the dream. Seriously. Um, yeah, man. Yeah, I like um, like deep fakes. I really like. I feel, I feel when I talk to some artists, they think you need to have that ability to really chug down and go frame by frame and do all the roto and, and do like the manual tracking and stuff. And that's obviously super important, but like if you're trying to be creative, if you're trying to be an artist, you have to, I think you have to let the tools adapt and work with whatever's newest and work with it, with whatever's going to be the best for your project. And speed is a huge factor in that yeah. so like just because there's i guess what i'm trying to say is i think people should be willing to adapt and not you don't always have to make it hard on yourself right like use the easier techniques when and if they're available yeah i think i i completely agree with that mindset i i am like completely self-taught uh from like youtube and reading you know the after effects manual like just going and trial experimentation all of that um i think that gave me that mindset of whatever tool that I can learn in a quick enough time frame that can achieve the story that we're trying to tell, tell is going to be the right one. And that may not be the agreed upon thing uh, amongst the community, or maybe, maybe technically not the right way to go about it. But if we can achieve this, this vision, then um, like that's, that's the direction we should go. And so I totally would have done deep fake because that would be so much easier than what I was doing. That was not the quick and efficient way of going about like manually, or I, I did use some synth eyes and I was able to track the face sometimes, oh, cool. but uh, not always because there was just so much head movement. And then we had this big cloak that we had pinned to um, our, our, our stunt guy actor, Dan Brown, we pinned to his hair to try and keep the cloak as much covering his face as possible. So the face replacement was limited. Yeah. Um, so yeah, oh, I, saw, I, I saw it again recently and I didn't notice like old Ben's face, like flown around the hood or anything Thanks, too much. Man. Like it, it looked good. Yeah. Thanks, like man. part of it, you're, you're oh, the guy who did it. So you're going to nitpick and like focus on the thing that you think needed work. But when everyone's watching this story, they're, they're watching the story. They're not, you know, unless something's too distracting, they're not going to notice any like, Oh, it, it like skipped a little bit here and there. It's usually I fun. agree. That's uh the the director Philip Silvera, that's he's taught me that. It's just try we're trying to tell a story. That's like our main objective. So whatever like little things that technically might not be correct, if if that's distracting from the story, we have to fix it. Like that needs to be adjusted. But as long as it's not, like there's all kinds of stuff I would have loved to have done in scene thirty eight. One of them was, you know, the little um the little I, there's a name for them and I'm I can't remember, but they're little like rat droids that are on the uh, space station. They're like little brown. They kind of like zoom around. Like looking guys, like the boxy yeah, rainbow looking dudes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those, I really wanted to put a couple of those in a couple of shots just going behind it. Cause I thought that like everyone would have loved that and not important to the story at all. And um, it's probably one of those things that I could have done in a few hours had I not been so sleep deprived at the end. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, like little stuff like that would not have contributed to the story. So it couldn't be first up. There were so many other fixes. Um, I, I would have liked, <laughs> like if he like rolled up and like saw him and went, boop, 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 and then, you know, back <laughs> yeah. Well, where, where I wanted to put it was right in the opening when they're sort of walking to each other. And then there's like a standoff. I kind of like subtle enough where it wouldn't take away from that moment because that's was one of our epic moments of like just the face down, but yeah. uh, just a little bit of silliness in the background, I think would have been I like that appreciated. Idea. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know, maybe next, maybe I'll reimagine it in 20 years and we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll deep fake it then. I like that idea. Um, so you're done with that big project. You released a very awesome uh, Punisher short on Fix It In Post as well. Right. Um, how long did that take you to make? So that one was a little bit more interest. Well, it wasn't more interesting. Scene 38 was about as interesting as you could get, but that one was um, a little bit of a different situation. Eric Linden, who directed that short film, he was the Punisher stunt double on the Marvel series. And then he uh, stunt coordinated, and I believe second year directed the second season. And so I want to say that was late 2017. He was up for the job to get the second season, the stunt coordinating. And so he wanted to kind of show them some of his ideas for the action. And mm-hmm. so he hit me up and he's like, Hey, can we do this thing? I'm like, I am so deep into scene 38 right now. Like, I don't know. I can't really promise anything, but I'll do what I can. And uh, he filmed it. He ended up getting the job anyways. So that project sort of fell on the back burner. Um, and once this pandemic hit, we knew that like we needed to get this thing done. Cause a lot of jobs were really slow. So we had a bunch of time to put into it. And that's sort of when, I wouldn't say the bulk of the work because I was kind of working on it for about a year here and there, but I don't make any money off of these short films. This is kind of just like fun um, to interact with the community and try different things and, and whatnot. So it's, it sometimes hits the back burner quite a bit when, when work is, is happening. Um, But fortunately there was some time that I was able to crank it out and I had a couple of other like really amazing artists that helped with some of the simulation stuff with the blood hitting the back of the wall and all of that stuff. Yeah, I love so, that shot. Yeah. Yeah, that was a hard one. That might have been one of the hardest shots that I've ever worked on. It was so big and we shot it at 240 frames per second and we wanted to retain the ability to speed ramp that shot up until the end. So all of the visual effects were done at 240 frames per second. Oh and, my god. <laughs> yeah, some of it's like I think I put up on my Instagram a little bit of a uh, a version of it when it's that slow. And a lot of it doesn't really play at the quality level because I knew I was going to be ramping through some parts. So like there's parts where some assets just kind of disappear randomly, but I knew I was going to zoom through that. So um, I'm not going to say it was perfect at 240 frames per second, but yeah, we were tweaking that, that like time remap up until nearly the end, trying to get it right and kind of get that moment to work. Yeah. Yeah. Came out great. It's a very, Thanks, very visually appealing piece for sure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I also saw a little, 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 little teaser for the next Star Wars project that you're working on. Can you tell me right. what you're planning here? Yeah. So Cloud City Reimagined. Um, that one people are a lot less excited about because um, I think it's maybe maybe universally accepted, or at least it's one of maybe the top two or three Star Wars duels in the entire series. Um, Luke versus Vader. It's sort of the the really turning point in that story um i think there is some room to to adjust some moments within it it's not going to be the same as scene 38 where we're sort of doing an entire reimagining instead we're going to be doing um sort of keeping keeping way more of the original footage in there and adjusting some moments that maybe are a little hokey or i think i envision to be a little bit more epic for lack of a better word uh, so, i don't want to give away too much yeah but, yeah any yeah, anytime we're like crossing over into the no, no. unspeakable it's, realm yeah it's it's no but uh so anyways 
for me on that one, it's really important to say that how I love that scene so much. I think scene 38, that duel between Kenobi and Vader, our goal was to create the vision that like we all had when we were kids watching that. I think we always envisioned this epic duel. And it's not until you watch it back, you're like, oh, it's a couple of old guys like fighting, but like the story uh, is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and and we still imagined it a certain way. So we were just trying to sort of bridge that gap between the history of what we now know about Obi-Wan Kenobi and, and Darth Vader and also the stunt choreography. Um, I really like the stunt choreography in the Cloud City duel. I think it's it's really fantastic. I think the story's all there. So there's most of it I don't want to touch because I think that'll just bring on a brigade of fury that uh, millions I don't want. of Star Wars yeah. fans. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which hey, maybe there'll be a lot of views and that would be that's true. You know, yeah. Negativity is still it's still good. Um, but yeah, so for that one, my my thought process was getting interested in some uh mocap. And I bought an XN suit, which I think you and I have talked about in the past. I got the um, Rococo suit. Right. I, I right. Just, I'm getting the finger sensors in the mail now. So finally oh. have that ability. But. Oh, amazing. I've been looking at the options for the XNs. I think it's a, it's called Magnus or something like that. Oh. Um, That's the one with the I, smaller sensors and stuff. It's like good for stunt work, right? Like, I think. But for the XNs? Yeah. Versus. Yeah. Yeah. It's like uh, so a that one. Yeah, that one, um, from my research, like between the Rococo and, and the XNs, the XNs, you have a, a lot more freedom to leave your feet um, doing stunt work and whatnot. It doesn't, like the data doesn't get all garbled and mangled and stuff. This may have changed with Rococo in the last six months, like from when I was researching it, but that was a big sell. They are fully capable of taking a beating. Um, I don't know if that's different from Rococo, but we uh, we did a shoot right before the pandemic and uh and it we put it through its paces for like five days and did every kind of stunt rig and threw threw these guys around and they were still breathing and wow working at the end of it so so i mean with the leaving the ground i haven't used the suit in like uh, two months or so but you couldn't really do that like you'd step up onto a chair you know and it was like oh, no you're on the okay. floor plane and but with uh, the suit that you got like if you strap somebody up to wires, would it sense like yeah. it travels from the ground? Really? So it's interesting. They have like this uh, algorithm uh, where they're able, you're able to plug in sort of like, Oh, are you on a single level? Um, which would just be like a normal floor. Are you on a multi-level, which is where you could do uh, like parkour or walk upstairs or anything mm -hmm. like that. And then there's no level, which is the one we were rolling with. We did some work where it's like, uh, um, I'm trying to, I can't. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, uh, it's, it's a superhero flying and we put him in a rig where he's just up and floating around and moving. And, um, uh, by applying that particular setting, it told it that like, there is no floor. Don't worry about the floor. And then it was able to work perfectly. Wow. Um, so that no, having that ability, because my goals with it is to use it in fight choreography and doing previs and whatnot. Um, I knew that was kind of a necessity to be able to like have these guys come off their feet and hit the floor and do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So. I wonder if it's a software limitation versus a hardware. I'm not sure. Or like some, I don't know if you have like an additional sensor that. Yeah. It's I a good know. question. I, I, they, so at XNs, they told me that a lot of it is their software, the like 
algorithms they run all of their data through because mm-hmm. sometimes you might have an issue with the data while you record it, but then you can rerun it through and say, oh no, this is actually like a single level or a multi-level. And sometimes it'll clean it up and it'll work perfectly in that sense. So I don't know, it might be both. It might be like a hardware and a, and a software. I know the price difference is pretty big uh, between the two. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Coco, well, I really like that price point for sure. That was... Yeah. 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 Like, I hear you. I can do that. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing. It's like, depending on your uses, if you're not trying to do any crazy stunts, I think Rococo, I've seen uh, a lot of guys do some amazing stuff with it. So, you know, you might not need to go, go full XNs, but yeah. So I, I bought one of those and I started thinking about like, well, what can I use this for to learn like a project to learn this software and this hardware on. And of course, I'm getting emails by the day on what's what's happening next. I wasn't sure I was ever going to do another Star Wars piece on the channel. I thought maybe it might be like a one-off. Um, but it sort of made sense to create something that I knew would get a lot of feedback. Not doesn't need to be positive. Just I know that there's like a lot of Star Wars fans that follow the channel. And so um, to me, it seemed like a great opportunity to try and couple the XNs with like some content that I knew uh, would work. So, um, it was the XNs and then learning unreal engine and bringing those together because scene 38 was all shot on green screen. The only real thing were the lightsaber hilts and the actors. I thought, well, what if we just get the stunt guys and put them in the XN suits and then everything is going to be CG and 3d and we could put our cameras wherever we want. We're not limited to the plates that we, we filmed. Um, and so that was like a big, kind of inspiration Kickstarter towards that project. Yeah. So, so you ran uh, a pandemic, Kickstarter on it? Did, did you no, no Kickstarter. You just mean a Kickstarter the project, I gotcha. Uh, it's just a, it's like a Patreon. Like there's, I have that. I don't have a Kickstarter or anything. Oh, cool. Let's throw it um, up. We'll throw it up here. Oh, thanks man. Go, who's going to edit this? Throw up the Patreon for Fix It In Post. Cool. Thanks, Everybody go. go, go donate. Yeah, make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, the pandemic has slowed us down a little bit, obviously, like being able to get together and do some of the stunt work. I think we're planning on, on doing that in December once things are a little bit more solid on kind of what the rules and regulations are on, on that. But yeah. um, in the meantime, it's just been prepping and getting the environment ready. The environment looks amazing. I'm really excited to to get that out. Um, you guys have already built it out in Unreal? Yeah, we've got a, a whole Unreal level that's, wow. uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's complete, but it's it's probably 80%, maybe 90% there. Um, and that that's in the teaser, you can see obviously part of that where it's coming down on the light. The on the yeah. Light. yeah, yeah, so so yeah. And, and from all of my understanding, I should be able to get through that mocap data and move pretty quickly. I'm not going to promise any like deadlines or dates or anything because I know I'm tempted. I'm so tempted, but I know so much better now. (laughs) Next week. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) next week. But uh, yeah, hopefully that'll be something that comes out less than two years, two and a half years. (laughs) So ambitious still. So you're doing Patreon. Are you trying to get sponsorships as well? Because I mean, you're committing so much time and effort to doing this and right, right. getting some funding for it would definitely be the way yeah. I would want to go. Yeah. So it's tough because, you know, it's not our IP. This is something we're kind of riffing on. Um, yeah. I do have Puget has sponsored me and provided me with an amazing workstation that like 
has been incredible to see the difference between Mac and, and a PC. I've, re- I've run some tests on it just to kind of see the side-by-side comparison of like, because they're both similar cost um, and it blows out my Mac. I've, I've been Apple for over 10 years and I've been terrified of making the leap, even though I know I needed to. Um, and uh, yeah, I reached out to them and they were super cool and they love scene 38 and they were like, yeah, we'll hold your hand through this process and help you get to the other side. So, Sweet. so yeah, they're, they're the big guys that have really helped out. And, um, but so far, no, other than that, it's just, it's kind of like self-funded on our own time um, with the help of a lot of amazing stunt coordinators, performers, etc. cetera. Um, so That's yeah, cool. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of fun having it sort of be untouched. Like it's not, it's not a, there's not too many people that get to put their create like creative fingerprints on it. Um, yeah. And you don't have to worry about trying to keep people up to date with like, Oh, we have to push the deadline. If it's like a sponsorship, right. you have to keep them up to date constantly. And then right. maybe they yeah. feel too much ownership over the project. So they try and like push you yeah. want to go in. So, but yeah. still two plus years to do, do a passion project. That's it's awesome commitment. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yeah. A little crazy, a little crazy. I got married a month after I finished scene 38 and that was one of my promises to my wife was that I would, I would not, we would not carry this into our, our marriage <laughs> <laughs> because I had been working on scene 38 longer than I had even been dating her oh. in, the, in the interim. So it was kind of a funny uh, timeline landmark as we, as we went, but yeah, yeah, no, nah, it won't be, it won't be two years. It can't be. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing whatever you come up with. Um, keep posting. You you will probably post some teasers on Instagram as well and maybe a little more behind the scenes or something. So if Very anyone's cool. not following Fix It On Post on Instagram, make sure to go do that. Um, yeah, you got some cool content there. Thanks, man. Yeah, your, your guys' stuff, I have to tell you, I don't know, you probably are aware of this, but your content is used exclusively in previs world, like all the stunt coordinators I know that use visual effects for their previs, they, everyone has a subscription to, to footage create and, really? uh, yep. Yeah. And I, unfortunately most of that stuff is NDA'd out and maybe we'll never see the light of day, but, um, I've used your stuff, uh, on so many projects that like, it's been such a lifesaver being able, being able to like realize at three in the morning when I need to turn this thing at six in the morning, like, Oh, I can just type into this huge library and whatever assets I need, I can pull from. And yeah. uh, it's been a lifesaver uh, oh, that's awesome, man. on the tightest of deadlines. So, yeah, I saw some, um, there's like a, a period where a bunch of stunt guys, I, I think it was during like early lockdown and the stunt guys didn't have too much to do. They're making videos in their backyard, which is obviously dope because they're doing these crazy cool stunts. And right. I was getting tagged on, um, production creates Instagram for a ton of stuff. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like, you know, the practical effects of stunt work with the visual effects is like the ultimate combination. I love that all these stunt guys are taking advantage of it. I was like, I should reach out to a couple of stunt people and be like, um, in animators as well. I'm like for previous work, footage crate would be the most ideal. Like it's like drag and drop super friendly stuff. And then I'm like, I forgot about it. I hadn't done it. So it's Dude, nice to know they're already there. Yeah. It's, it's already happening. Um, I used a lot of your stuff on Terminator dark fate. We had a lot of previs that we needed to do. And so I used it constantly on that. There's, um, there's a show called Jupiter's legacy that'll be coming out. And I did a lot of previs work on that. And that's all superhero stuff. And 
yeah, your, your guys' stuff. I used every episode, uh, blasting through it because it was, yeah, with previous, you only have a short period of time, but, um, yeah. it's important to have like the right tools and assets. Like we were talking about earlier to tell a story and with your guys' library, that's con- continually growing. There is always something it's, it's funny. I'm like, I don't even know how to describe what I'm looking for. And I'll just start typing in words. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one that little green flame is exactly what I was looking for, for this, <laughs> this, uh, superhero. So that's awesome. Um, yeah, totally. I forgot what I was going to say. Whatever. It's going to be really insightful and smart too. So you know, <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. Yeah, totally. Um, oh yeah. I want to ask. So, uh, obviously scene 38 was a passion project and you're sure. not, uh, a YouTuber, you're huge on YouTube and you make some really cool stuff, but this is some what you're doing day to day. What you're doing day to day is a job. What is that job? You said you do a lot of previous work. Yeah. So, um, so I always have a hard time describing what I do to anyone. <laughs> um, yeah. That's my life for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, how, how do I, how do I break this down? Cause I don't even understand what I do. Um, I think I'm a freelance visual effects supervisor. I, do a lot of work on previous stuff with stunt coordinators. And um, so that, that includes like movies like Deadpool worked on the shows like daredevil and Punisher and like all kinds of stuff. And what that entails is basically they'll come with a visual storyboard of what the final action piece will be. And they'll need a lot of like visual effects indicators like, Oh, this guy gets his arm chopped off or this girl has, you know, she can shoot fire out of her hands or whatever. And that's really difficult to show to some, to some clients, whether it be producers or directors, not everyone has, or sometimes it's like the art department or like the camera department. And they want something that they can show and be like, Hey, this is exactly what's going to be happening. This is what we want to see in the final product. This is how we've designed our action. And so they'll come to me and show me what they're doing and kind of get my input on what I think will work in terms of the visual effects. And we'll kind of plug away, they'll submit that and it'll get approved or not. And we'll make some adjustments. And, um, but it's all about telling the story, whatever the action is. And so that's uh, that's one component. Um, I also do a lot of like polished, more like post work and that's on like the commercial side and independent movies and some TV shows and stuff like that. But that's awesome. um, yeah, I started, I started in YouTube like 10 years ago. Um, and that's sort of, I was posting up a lot of superhero kind of, content like videos and stuff it was just me learning visual effects and i got like a little bit of a following there and uh, i started making tutorials that were strictly just so i could remember how to do the visual effect it was just purely a reference for myself yeah and uh some people within the film industry started following those tutorials and they decided to hit me up to work on their projects instead of trying to just do the effect themselves and that was sort of my my in into the industry and, uh, and then that, those YouTube channels sort of fell on the wayside, uh, probably for good. It would Mr. be fun to revisit. Yeah. Mr. Menagerie, <laughs> right. Was your, your VFX. Hey, Mr. Menagerie. Yeah. I was surprised you found that. I don't think I've mentioned that anywhere. Um, yeah. Do yeah, our research. Like, yeah. Nice research, man. Yeah. The Mr. Menagerie. And then I had a channel for tutorials that was the Mr. Menagerie too. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was really fun. And it was not, in, it, was, it wasn't intentional to kind of break into the industry that way. It was just purely like learning and trying to get feedback on my work. And, um, I think it goes to show that like, there's a platform now for everyone, wherever you live to, to be seen. And, yeah, um, totally. and so, yeah, so that, that kind of transitioned me into the visual effects world and 
kind of been ongoing. And it was funny to return to YouTube with scene 38 um, and sort of start over a little bit again. And it's funny, I've, I felt the same pangs that I had way back then of like, oh man, I want to grow my channel and I want to do all of this stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just never been like a, a bill payer, so to speak. So it's it's going to be a, a little bit of a side project. Um, yeah. And I got to imagine, I mean, it sounds like you have one of the coolest freaking jobs on the planet. So I feel very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I get to work with a lot of really talented people. And I feel really lucky that like some of these guys way back when found my YouTube videos, cause they could have found someone else. There was plenty of guys that were, you know, making the same level of quality work that I was back in the day, but I don't know, maybe, maybe they stumbled across the right video and it ended up working out. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are now. Yeah. So a lot of our viewers, um, want to be full-time YouTubers, but then I'm sure a, a huge percentage are using YouTube as a platform to work on their skill sets, whether it's like post-production, visual effects, stunt work, right. acting. Um, but I, I'm sure a lot of people are like, just making the YouTube channel, how is that going to, how is that a step in a direction towards a career? So it's nice to hear that. I mean, for you, it seemed like it worked out really, really well where people came to you, but do you have any like tips or suggestions for people who want to use it to get like into the industry? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny you say that because it's, it's maybe not something that I would completely advocate for. It just, it was one of those things that I lucked into that was not uh, my, my family, my friends, everyone like did not understand why I was so committed to like making these videos. And I just felt, it felt right at the time. It felt like I was getting views and I was like, Hey, it just takes one person. Um, and I was really lucky that that one person happened to watch. I think for tips, it would just be about getting your work out there and seeing you can make the most amazing thing, but if it doesn't get the eyes on it, then you're not like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good your skill set is if no one knows that you exist. And yeah. so, um, maybe seeing 38 is a good example. We took something that a lot of people loved and we didn't screw it up most people would have say there's one, one, 1.8% disagree with that statement, but um, pretty good average. Yeah. Yeah. Not bad. Um, but we put a lot of time in there and, uh, weren't trying to just, we didn't do it for the views like at all. We didn't do it for any other reason than we thought it was like going to be amazing. Um, and, and I think that like, kind of dedicating yourself to one thing instead of trying to like shotgun blast out and maybe make like 10 videos a week and doing all of these different side hustles. If you yeah. just focus on like one aspect of the creating um, and put a lot of time into one thing that that'll be worth a lot more than maybe the quantity. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't, it's hard. Like I think it's a little bit like working in Hollywood, like YouTube it's, there's a lot of luck and stuff. I think that's involved in what's trending and how, how you get seen. Um, yeah. I think it's, it's think? great. Though. <laughs> <laughs> like what's, what's your advice on that? I think, I think you, you make a really good point. I, I don't think there is just the one answer. I think YouTube is a good platform to get seen. It's also a good platform to hone your craft and get better. Um, right. And there's, it's not like, Oh, I want to get a bunch of views. So I'm going to make, you know, one video every day and just hope something takes off. Like I think, always focus on the quality. If you want to release a daily kind of video, that's fine as well. And you but can, yeah. Totally. I think the goal should just be, it shouldn't be to release a video every day. It should be to make a better video every day, right? Like whatever you're yeah, using for, try and improve whatever skill set you're trying to promote, I guess. 
Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I think that was something that I did early on where these videos that I created, I was always, most of them were uh, revolved around superpowers. So it was, I started with human torch and then it was teleportation and then it was like Superman and um, X-Men and different things. But it was sort of like, I would watch a movie and I'd be like, Oh, I wonder how they did that. And of course what I was doing was not quite on that level, but I could get halfway there and create something interesting. And then that was a skill set that I had in my pocket, which a lot of stuff that I did years later, they'd be looking for something like that. And I'm like, Oh, I've done this before. I've done a lot of teleporting stuff. I probably wouldn't show you the video that I did because it sucks, you know, it's from five or six years ago, but I know that technique now. And I, with like what I've learned since then, I can kind of apply it all together and, and do something awesome. So yeah, I think, I think kind of like picking a skill set, and it doesn't necessarily need to be a certain effect or anything. It could be like, I want to have better audio of this video or, or, you know, get my editing honed in. But I think like that, every tool that you have in, in your tool belt is just going to help you once, once the opportunity comes. And if you keep cracking at it, it will come. I mean, it may not look like what you want it to look like. That's, I think something that I've realized too, over my career is a lot of times, um, you're, you're hoping for one thing and then another thing comes, but you know, you make the best of it. And yeah, uh, be, be open to whatever, like, you may not realize that like you wanted to be working in previs specifically or even visual right. effects, but then, you know, the more you did it, the second you have the opportunity, you know, kind of. Well, I didn't, I, I didn't even want to do visual effects. I, I liked making comedy short films with my, my friends back when I was in high school and uh, you know, after high school, no one really wants to make short films anymore. And so I had to start thinking outside the box, like how do I make an interesting video by myself? And like that, along with the Star Wars fan film were the two things that really prompted me because in all of those videos that I'm talking about uh, back in the day, it was almost all me or maybe me and like my little brother or a friend that I could kind of bring in for the video. But the rest of it was like, how do I make an interesting video with like just myself? Yeah, and, uh, totally. So it was like creative problem solving to a degree, I think. Like I didn't have a cast of people. And then, and then visual effects just sort of like, kept going and kept going. I was like, Oh, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. And I realized like there was a demand for it. And, um, you know, before you know it, you're making Star Wars short films. Yeah. I feel like that's how like a lot of VFX artists start out. I think I, I was talking to Hashi action movie dad. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, I think amazing. like the, yeah, yeah. Hashi's an awesome guy. I think the like a similar thing came up where it's like, people are making short films or projects and visual effects needs to be done. So whoever raises their hand, cool, you're the VFX artist now, but then it's like, oh my God, this is awesome. Like, keep doing it, keep doing it, and that's your life, yeah. That's your life. (laughs) (laughs) Could be worse, for sure. Oh, definitely. All right. Um, So out of scene 38, has there been any, like, job proposals? Or obviously you've got a crazy amount of fan mail and recommendations for future videos and all that, but what about like professional type gigs as, as there been sure. any projects to come of that? Um, there's been some interesting prospects that have come up and so far nothing has actually panned out. Um, I was surprised at how little my professional career changed mm-hmm. when I released scene 38. I was expecting a huge bump. I sort of thought it would kind of take me to the next level. Um, and, and I, and it didn't, it, it was interesting. It was sort of business as usual once that was done. Um, I think 
I realized that people, and, and this is actually, I think a really positive thing on the whole, but people watched scene 38 because they thought it was a great story and the visual effects served the story, but I don't think it was the calling card that I quite expected it to be where it was like, Oh, look at this visual effects masterpiece, um, which I don't think it is. But uh, I think that, that it's more star Wars fans came at it. And there are a lot of people in the industry that love star Wars. And so I've talked to a, a good amount of them every time I've been on set since then, People have seen scene 38. So that's been interesting because it's lent me a, a level of credibility that maybe I didn't have before. Um, a lot of times on set, a visual effects supervisor has to has to really assert themselves to get something done um, because it will slow down production. Say sometimes it's just moving a camera like two inches over and then we don't have to roto out like a whole car or um, you know putting some tracking markers and all of that. And so that used to be a lot more of a battle um, so far. I've actually had like a lot less trouble with that since then. And I don't know if it's just because like, oh, there's this, uh, this short film that's out there that everyone's aware of. So it lent me more credibility there where it's like, if I'm asking for something like, oh, I need an extra tracking marker here. They just go with it instead of like, we don't have time, like deal with it later, right. which, you know, sometimes you can't deal with it later. Like there are stuff that you can't do. Um, it, it makes some shots unusable, but that's been pretty, pretty neat. Um, there that's was cool. a, uh, there was a, a pretty big commercial job that I, I did recently that's not out yet, um, but on the, um, oh, what do they call it? It's like, it's not a bid, but it's sort of like a, it's like a creative breakdown on how the, the whole thing is going to be made. Like a deck or something? Yeah, 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 like a deck. Um, <laughs> the very bottom of that, uh, and they're like, oh yeah, and our visual effects guy is is the guy who made this. And it's just like a thumbnail of scene 38, <laughs> and so that was fun because I ended up getting that job. And, uh, so I guess it, I don't think it got me in with the guys that were getting the job, but I don't know, maybe it helped. Yeah. Uh, it was just funny to see it on, on that where, um, I was not expecting, I was just scrolling down, kind of understanding the creative and then down at the bottom, there's like this Your thumbnail right there. Yeah. That, that's been burned into my head. So I know what it looks like. I was like, Whoa, that was, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That's um, pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it was interesting. It was interesting that like, it's sort of, I think it was more for the community at the end of the day, which I'm completely okay with too. Uh, I think it's, it's been really awesome getting some emails from people who are just like, Oh, I watched this scene with my dad when I was like five and I yeah. watched it again with him now that I'm 40. Oh, and that's awesome, like yeah. we both cried again. I don't know. There's been a lot of touching stuff like that, that, um, I don't know. That wasn't the goal setting out, but it's, it's certainly been one of my favorite parts of it is getting that kind of feedback on like people enjoying it. Cause I mean, we're all creators and we all try and make stuff that hopefully people will like and enjoy. And, and it seems like a lot of people did enjoy scene 38. So hopefully yeah. we'll have some more tears on cloud city and their positive tears and <laughs> but we'll see. I think you got it, man. I feel, feel good about that. It's definitely more ambitious in the sense that the, fight scene was more solid but you know obviously there's some there's room for improvement so i'm i'm curious to see where you fill it up and i'm very excited to see all the little roomba roomba robots in the background just (laughs) just making up for that missed one i know i know i don't even think they fit in that level but now i have to put them in there maybe just one like on a on a pipe randomly and i'll call (laughs) i'll call you out to it i'll make sure that you see it but it'll just be like a shadow that (laughs) flies by that'd be great We'll, we'll, we'll do another podcast then <laughs> whenever it comes out and we can, yeah. we can point it out. I'd love that. Yeah. Let's definitely circle back when you do get it released. In sure. However many years. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, I think that pretty much covers everything that we were interested in. But I do have uh, several speed questions for you. So hit me. Totally random questions, but give them your okay. best answer. All right. All right. Cool. Get lined up. All right. So it is the zombie apocalypse. Let's say it's six months in, totally destroyed, maybe I don't know, 10, 15% of humanity left. You have any superhero, any superhero that you can choose is your bodyguard. Who would it be? I'd have to go with Superman. It's a good choice. He can still get bit though, right? I mean, it's not like his skin is impenetrable, so. It's pretty impenetrable though, isn't it? I mean, I if bullets aren't going through his skin, I don't think as, I don't know how, how powerful. I mean, I guess. Kryptonite zombies? I don't know. Like, how did we get here? I, I'm, I'm, it's your world, man. It's, it's my world. I'm guessing that there's probably some super powered zombies as well. Oh man. Oh yeah. You know who might be good then? Uh, no, I'm sticking with Superman. Superman's always been my guy. He's my favorite okay. superhero. That's so I'm choice. sticking with them. Um, I you think just, the flash might be a great answer too, because you know, he can just see everything that's happening always uh-huh. uh, with his super speed. So he can get me out of any situation. That's um, a good call. I don't know. Who would Superman's yours be? good though. Yeah. Who would mine be? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, Superman is a really good choice. I, I kind of want just like a straight up brawler, though. You know, I feel yeah. like with these guys who like are Hulk? like, maybe, maybe Hulk, because like, if it say it is a zombie apocalypse and there are superheroes, you're probably going down no matter what, you know, like no uh, one okay. superhero can take it out. But if I'm going down, I want to go down like with Hulk backing me up, just smashing millions of zombies at a time and Go you down. might go with him, though. Hulk might get you. No, I'm, I'm on his shoulders, man. I'm up there. Uh, I'm on. You're, like, you're like the hobbits in the march to Isengard. You're just <laughs> exactly. <laughs> on Treebeard, except it's Hulk and he's smashing everyone, exactly, probably yeah. with Treebeard. <laughs> <laughs> that's, my, that's my zombie apocalypse stream. Okay. Um, do you that sounds enjoy, more fun than mine. <laughs> I like it. No, I mean, you can still chill with Superman. He's going to fly you around the world and stuff. I'm just trying to live. But... Yeah, it's true. <laughs> I was already given up. But... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a fun way to go, though. I like it. It is. It is. Uh, do you enjoy pineapple on pizza? Oh, yeah. But, but like, sort of a, a late convert to it. It was something that never made sense. And I don't think I enjoyed, like, the Pizza Hut pineapple or, like, the lunch school tray. I don't know if they, we ever had pineapple pizza at school. But, yeah, once... Once I started getting a little bit fancier pizzas, you know, maybe it was a little bit of fresher pineapple. Actually, yeah, I actually do like it. I like it too, man. I feel like this is going online, so you might get a lot more hate mail than you got for scene 38, but pineapple and pizza, sweet and savory. It's a good balance. I got to say. It's a great balance. And I'm totally open to more hate mail because I need to mix it up. Like, let's go outside of Star Wars for a minute. I'm okay with that. Yeah, bring it maybe on. When, maybe when you and I finally do a collaboration, we can incorporate some pineapple pizza somehow into it. <laughs> I think we have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, are you excited for The Boys Season 2 on Amazon Prime? Yes. Yeah, I really like Season 1. There was, there was a lot of really interesting moments. I feel like they turned a lot of tropes upside down. Um, having worked on a lot of like superhero stuff and my, I feel like my visual effects background has always been like geared towards superhero type effects. I loved everything that they did. Yeah. I love that show. Yeah. Good level of comedy. The gore was there, but it worked. It didn't seem like excessive, you know, no, it wasn't too gratuitous. Yeah. It was, uh, I, so I've Philip Silvera who did scene 38, he's done Deadpool and Daredevil and Pun- like 
all of these things are pretty graphic and, and gory. So a lot of like my work tends to like move in that direction. So I felt like the boys, well, it was definitely a different tone. It, it had that sort of like, well, what would superheroes do if they were just in like our world and we were showing some of the practical things that might happen, like a speedster running through someone or I don't know, yeah. like, and all the blood and stuff that would. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of like YouTube, like what if videos that you'll right, see. Yeah. What if a superhero yeah. ran through somebody at like top speed? And it's like, I oh, just watched sure. the boys season one. They did it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you had to pick your favorite martial arts movie, what movie would it be? Oh man. Maybe enter the dragon. I don't know. I like Classic. it man too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably go with one of Enter those the dragon. Yeah. That man series is pretty dope for sure. Yeah. 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 That, uh, yeah. I all on board with that series. Good answer. Oh, okay. So you have a choice. You either lose okay. both your eyeballs or both your arms, which would you choose to sacrifice? Oh man! Yeah, I know. That's that's brutal. That's we can't trade. One. We can't trade like an arm and a leg. No, you can't. You can't do like oh. a one and one. No, it's, <laughs> no. it's eyes oh, or arms. Yeah. Oh man! Well, probably. Oh, I was I was thinking of from a career standpoint. I'm like, well, I wouldn't be able to support myself without my eyes, but I also probably couldn't do it without my arms either. Although I've seen some people do some amazing like stuff with their feet like maybe you could type and use a mouse with your feet <laughs> you might fail um, to yeah uh this one hurts i'm gonna okay i'm gonna i guess i'm gonna get rid of my eyes there go the eyes wow. this is, so this this is my my thought process is potentially some of my other senses might become heightened and Daredevil, right. maybe. Daredevil I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping that there will be some benefits that offset the loss of vision. Where losing my arms, I don't think that's gonna affect my senses in the slightest. I'll just Yeah. Just so where I'm going with it is that um like prosthetics and robotics are next level. And I think, yeah, maybe man, you thought through this before. You asked this question, didn't you? <laughs> Two, three totally years, true. yeah. I'm gonna have freaking metal super powered arms and you're gonna be just walking around unable to see how cool they are so. and, and i feel like mine's probably i mean both are graphic but like having my eyes literally removed that's true more which is what i'm assuming i just wouldn't be blind i'd literally have no eyes we would take them yeah yeah, yeah. someone would have them but <laughs> yeah <They'd> be <laughs> it wouldn't be me yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah hopefully for the guy that made the other decision <laughs> and uh, needed them you guys just swap yeah yeah, yeah. 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 We trade an arm and an eye. <laughs> call, it, call it even. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm committed. I'm hoping for the senses to get the, the buff. You're in now, man. Yeah. 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 Prosthetics might have been the way to go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's the scariest thing that you have ever experienced or witnessed? Oh, man. What is the scariest thing that I've ever... I don't know if I have... I don't think I, don't think I have like a great story for that. Yeah. I think my little brother ran away when I was like seven or eight, he went to the park by himself, but we thought we lost him for like an hour or two. And I think that was like one of the like biggest sense of panics that I've ever had. Cause I was like running around the streets trying to find him. It was terrifying, oh, but man. it's not like a fun, we found him. He was, he had borrowed my sister's like pink slippers and was like walking home with he's like a bunch like, of people. I'm going to the park. See you later. Yeah, he did, yeah. He's that kind of guy. He was, he, he took action into his own hands. He wasn't going to wait for anyone, but <laughs> he was like three or something. Oh, man. And, uh, but yeah, 
but that's not that's not a lot of fun. That's not a fun answer. But yeah, no, I mean that's that's fine. I mean, you probably thought your parents were gonna like hold you responsible too, to an extent. And you're like, oh, my mom was like driving around too, trying to find them. She was in the car. I was running around the streets. It was it was a good time. Yeah, and seeing your fun. parents freak out when you're a kid because like they're like the rock. Yeah. The second they start to like lose, you're like, oh my god, this is serious. So. Yeah, that's a good point, man. Yeah, it's like once you hit that level, because you rarely see that you're you get you get the turbo charge of panic and fear and totally and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. How about you? Help me out here. Scariest. Gotta, gotta... I was a zipline um, guide before production create, maybe like two years before I went full time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a summer job. It was super fun, and we would do this trick where you can like um, grab the line and then swing it. And you'd spin. And then yeah. you've probably seen like ice skaters where they, their arms are out wide and then they bring it in and they accelerate really, really fast. Right. So you can actually do that as you're going down the zip line. So I started out with my arms really wide. I closed it in. I, you know, I'm, I was a guy that probably done like 200 times so spinning around really, really fast. Yeah. And I've got my safety line um, that connects to the zip line and okay. uh, rock climbing harness. And my rock climbing harness straps got stuck in the safety line. And as I was spinning around, the strap pulled and I didn't have like a little safety notch on it. So it pulled and my harness opened up as I'm spinning around, maybe like a hundred feet up. I'm like, I feel it. I feel it like slip around my waist. And that was the scariest moment, man. I was able to like kind of stay in it and then grab the harness. And then like my friends at the bottom were able to kind of like break me in. But I thought I was dead, man. I thought I was just going to fall out of it. So that's yeah. 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 That one. That's good. That would do it. That would do it. Have you ever, uh, have you ever gone skydiving? I did a tandem skydive. Um, yeah. That was fun. It wasn't too scary because I'm like with somebody who right. knows what they're doing. If I had to do it myself, I'd probably have a bit more doubt on like pulling the thing, but I loved it. We went through a cloud, which I guess you're not like supposed to do, but oh, just awesome. remember that feeling of like the mist, like passing by and then yeah. in San Diego. Yeah. That's have cool. you skydived before? Yeah. Once, um, it was a similar situation. I get motion sickness though. And the guy who was my tandem, he didn't, my, uh, I don't know, my tandem partner or whatever. He didn't actually like prep me with anything. He just like hopped on the plane right as I was getting on. So I didn't even know who I was going with. (laughs) And, uh, he, he, uh, decided we were going to like come out of the plane, like doing like somersaults and like flipping and stuff. Oh my God. And, uh, yeah, that was that. It wasn't necessarily terrifying because, like you said, you're kind of you're with someone. There is that moment as you're leaving the plane where you're just like, ah, this was probably not. Like, I didn't need to make this decision. Yeah, <laughs> now that I'm here, like, I didn't need to jump out of an airplane. Um, but yeah, uh, on the way down, I was like doing okay, and then the last, like, kind of as the ground is like coming up, I think all of the spins that they they, uh, they caught up with me, and we we made a quick entry to the <laughs> to the floor, and I. Uh, <laughs> I ejected. <laughs> oh my god! You, you puked when you made it to the oh, bottom. Dude, I, yeah, I was, and I was just like, and I could tell the guy did not want me to puke on him while <laughs> we're floating down. He's like, "We're going, buddy, we're going," and he kind of pulled. It's like, hold, hold on there. Yeah, yeah, kind of flying in like quickly, yeah. and it was really cool because there was a, a bunch of experienced guys who were probably in their 40s or 50s who were all as i'm throwing up they're walking by and pat me on the back oh, i threw up on my first time too and like <laughs> i'm like thanks guys thank you thank you <laughs> thank <Yeah>. you <laughs> that's a good story um all right last question probably sure. the most important question you'll ever have to answer uh if you had to battle a crazed gorilla or two crocodiles to the to the death and you were only armed with a steak knife 
So steak knife, gorilla, I'm talking like full grown silverback gorilla, crazed, like foaming at the mouth, or two full grown crocodiles. Gorilla's got height, crocodile's got teeth. You gotta and pick I, one and I can't, I can't run away. There's no, I like- No, we're, you're, we're you're like together. in the pit, man. I'm in the pit. People cheering, yeah. Oh man. Steak knife, we'll say steak that knife. Big. Yeah. That's a good size steak knife. It's not bad. Better about that. Yeah. I feel like the crocodiles are the right answer. Um, you might be right. I think, I guess here would, how big of a ring do we have here? Is this something I could evade them for a while, tire them out, and then maybe while they're sleeping, come, Tucking, come push um, them off? Or is this like, I have no room to move. It's mono-e crocodile. Right. Mono-e <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of what the Rancor pit, like something Rancor pit okay. style. Yeah. Okay. There's a little bit of room. Yeah, you can move. You can move. All right. I'm going with the crocodiles because that, that would be my strategy. I feel like the silverback gorilla, I'm not going to outrun him. No. Nope. I'm not going to outstrength him. I might get a couple stabs in, but he could probably crush me with one hand uh, and yeah. ragdoll me around. Where the crocodiles, think. Yeah, yeah, the crocodiles, if you get behind them, watch enough uh, crocodile hunter. That's that, true. You might be able to like, get on top of one, like close the mouth, and you only maybe. got one left. Yeah. Yeah. Your best bet, man. Yeah. That's my, I, I think so. How do you feel about this situation? I think, I think you made the right call, honestly. Okay. Right. Um, it's you. a tough situation to find yourself in. <laughs> to yeah, with. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we talked about this. So I'm prepped. You are um, ready. Hopefully I have the accurate size uh, steak knife. Cause if it was more of like a butter knife, I don't know if there is a solution. There's no, go for the eyes. That'd be my recommendation. That, that, yeah. That's where I was, I was thinking because everything yeah. else, I don't know. I feel like the gorilla could still get me even without his eyes. If, yeah. if I chose a gorilla. Oh, that's true. Think with the crocodiles, there's two of them, but they're not going to be coordinated. They're not, you know, they're not going to time their attacks and stuff. Yeah. They're not like wolves. Yeah. No. Have you seen the video where, like, there? there's one video I've seen where a croc, there's a bunch of crocodiles and one of them just bites off the other's arm. He does, like, a little roll and just bites it off. And, like, no the, the guy who gets his arm bit off just is still chilling after. Not really. So maybe I'm hopeful that something like that happens. You know, that's one less limb I need to deal with. Yeah. But you know, they can also take a hit and roll with it pretty well while gorillas might yeah. be like, ah, I'm over it. Yeah. I don't know. I think you're right though. I think crocodiles okay. are good choice. Yeah. All right. Thanks man. Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> if I get in the situation, I'm like, at least I, at least we talked through this. Yeah. <laughs> it was the best plan. The best course of action. Best possible. Yeah. 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 All right, Chris. Well, thank you so much for uh, doing this interview and I look forward to seeing what you come up with next. Can you tell the viewers where to follow your work? Sure, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, obviously, there's the Fix It and Post YouTube channel that we have been talking about and that's F-X-I-T-I-N-P-O-S-T um, or you could probably type in C38 and that might come up even quicker. And then I am mostly active on Instagram um, and that's Fix It and Post as well on Instagram. So... Those would be the two the two spots. Perfect. All right. Thanks a lot, man. It was good to finally connect with you after back and yeah. forth for so long. I know. I know. We'll have to figure out creating something together down the yeah. line here. Let's do it. For sure. Cool. All right, Chris. Yeah. Have a good one, man. Yeah, you too. See you. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to make it awesome.